Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing about body acceptance with Christina Bruce. But first, let's catch up. Nicole, what's new? Ah, well, (laughs) I think the last time we were on, Shay was just getting done with COVID and we were joking that Piper was immune. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, oh, Piper got COVID. We've we've officially since December 26th had four separate quarantines and at least two snow days. Um, So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I have. Yeah, it's I'm just ready for normal, boring life. Like I don't want to call from the school. I don't want I just I'm I don't want any of that. It's I'm just over it. It's been yeah. it's been a lot. Four separate quarantines has been I can't even imagine people who had 10 day quarantines. All of ours came after it was five. I can't All imagine yours doubling. came after what? After the vaccines? CDC no 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 when the CDC changed quarantine period from ten to five days. See, I, I'm very confused. I thought that was only for people who were vac- vaccinated. Not not in our school district. Nope. Oh, see, we still had to quarantine 10 days because Cameron hasn't been vaccinated. Actually, we had to quarantine 12 days because they're real weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. That's a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's well, we've all officially had COVID in since December 26th. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they, they still haven't been vaccinated. So now we'll wait till April. End of March, beginning of April, uh, to back anyway. It was interesting. I will say the girls they had it real. uh, Both had high fevers, like 102 plus. Uh, But it was quick. It was you know Piper was like a day. She had some nausea. Never actually got sick. But we Mm -hmm. spent a good portion of last Friday evening in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that was unpleasant. And then Shay one night. I mean, she just burned up. She had like five layers on and she was just dripping and I mean just a puddle of sweat in her bed oh it was but now, then did, it was 24 hours and they were both fine did Piper get it from Shay it seems like it was a long time in between so what I think happened was Shay gave it to our after school nanny and then she opted she by that point she was already exposed she's like well I feel like I should just keep coming to work since like I've already mm-hmm. been around Shay I was like, that is entirely up to you. I would never ask her to come to work, right? Right. But she did. And then she got COVID, of course. So then that added to the just chaos of January, February is, you know, we didn't have her for a week um, Mm -hmm. because she was out. And then by the time she came back, Piper was out with COVID. So I think Mm -hmm. Shay gave it to our nanny and our nanny gave it to Piper. If Mm -hmm. That was my best guess. I have no idea. Yeah, I know. Uh, That's I still have no idea how Paige got COVID. So, yeah, it's such a mess. Yeah. It doesn't matter, really. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Other than that, um, I, I think I shared a, a, a while back that I am a co-chair for the variety show at the elementary school. So this past week, we had auditions over the lunch hour, and it was so cute. The kids, Aww. like some of them so prepared, other others, it's like a hot mess. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, the theme is Brown Elementary's Got Talent. Isn't that oh, cute? And that we're going to have like cute. little judges and like, you know, not not really just um, our, our MCs. And then Shay got braces. Yeah. Tell me about this. What the heck is 
first grade? Why? Why? Did, I mean, what, what was your your um, orthodontist reason for this? So our dentist actually mentioned it at her last cleaning. Something yeah. about her having a pretty aggressive crossbite. Uh-huh. I think much in relation to her sucking her thumb. Both of oh. my kids are left thumb suckers. And uh, we've tried to break that habit. And I would say mildly tried to break it. Not real not real aggressively. And then he mentioned it again. And he's like at at her recent visit and he, he's like, you need to go. I'm like, okay. So what he said was that when, because of the shape of her jaw, it needs to be widened. Cause if it's not widened now, there's going to be no room for the adult teeth to come in. And she's already Mm -hmm. lost her two front teeth, like her, you know, the big ones are coming in. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, she has this pretty aggressive crossbite. So his rationale, and he's an orthodontist, I don't know. He said that by puberty, children's jaws, the bone structure is just hard. And it's mm-hmm. a lot harder to move the structure mm-hmm. of the jaw at that point than it is now. So mm-hmm. what she's going to have is really just a retainer with like a, a little key thing at the top mm-hmm. that yeah. gets turned and widens her jaw. But an he's expander. Saying, expander, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I, I'm not quite sure. I think the the braces is really to to guide um the teeth. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, that was my question to him because you, when you and I were growing up, braces were more like middle school, right? Yeah. Yep. I think I was 13. Mm-hmm. Same. Same. Yeah, we'll see. The, the goal is he he explained is that later would be cosmetic only, and it would be very minimal, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say our orthodontist has also talked to us about Paige getting braces early, mm. not first grade, but I think in elementary school for sure. It won't mm. be middle school. It'll be it'll be before that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't super get it, but he seemed to he seemed to. Yeah, be forty five hundred dollars, though, Gina. Yeah, I can't. Holy mm. crap. <laughs> I got a fraud alert on my HSA card. They went to go oh. run it because she was, she's like, here's your payment options. I'm like, just do it. Like, I, I don't want to see this bill every month. And yeah. so she swiped it and I got a text. Did you approve this <laughs> charge? I'm like, unfortunately, yes. How much can your H- HSA go up to? 5000 correct? No, no, no. So you can contribute. I have a family. I oh, You're going to quiz me here. I max it out every year. Whatever okay. can go in, I put in. And we are fortunately very healthy. And that amount has just accrued over time. Oh. And there's at this point, five digits in there or was um, yeah. just because I, I, you know, my whole working, you know, yours accumulates. Yours. That's interesting. Yes. Mine, ours does not. So I think you're thinking of a flexible spending account, which oh. you can like, then people are like, oh, it's the end of the year. I'll buy band-aids like that. You have to kind of plan for what you're going to spend for the year. Whereas the yeah. health savings does not. It's just tax exempt money that can go towards medical expenses. But yes, it just rolls okay. over year over year. I know. Okay. Got I'm the got last it. person that should be educating on this, but that is my understanding of it. No, I think you're right. Well, see, ours is all in the same bucket. So it's called oh. a health savings account. Hold on. No, it's called a flexible savings account. And that part of that is dependent care. Part of that is health care. You can only put so much in per year. I think for us, it's 5,000 or 4,000. I can't remember, but then we can accrue extra money that does actually accumulate year to year if you don't use it. So I don't know all the the terms and I I think it's similar everywhere. I think that's just like a government standard. I don't know. I do not have an FSA. Any hoodles. What's new with you guys? 
Yeah, not a whole lot. I had my birthday last week, which was a lot of fun. Nick made a gourmet meal for really my whole family. Uh, We didn't have anyone over or anything. We just uh, kept it small and intimate. We had my family over, but no, no one else other than that. Um, what he made just really nice. He made filet, which was awesome, and then garlic mashed potatoes, uh, steamed broccoli with some like sauce on top, mushrooms, and and then he bought. I wanted, I love cake, but I'm like, you know what? Let's do something different this time. So we bought a Grater's ice cream cake, which was really good, and yeah, that was it. It was perfect. So so good. Are you down and with then, garlic these days? You know what? Yes. I oh. eat garlic. I eat garlic now. Okay, here's the thing. And we could t- we could probably do a whole episode on this, but I think a lot of my problem with FODMAPs was because I was such a restrictive eater and still had some disordered eating tendencies. And I just screwed up my gut big time. So now that my gut is normalized and back to, yeah, back to normal, I can eat just about everything except for a couple things, which we'll talk about in a couple episodes when we talk about our new vegetarian recipes. Okay. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I can eat garlic now. Um, onion still, I am very weary of, of onion. I think that's very normal for people not to be able to eat a lot of onion, but I I can actually eat a little bit and it's, and it's okay. Uh, I used to avoid it like the plague, but I don't do that anymore. But I just think because I was such a restrictive eater for so long, I screwed up my gut. And I think that happens a lot when people have e- either eating disorders or disordered eating. I can't tell you how many times People will talk to me about how everything they eat causes their stomach to hurt, yada, yada. So a low FODMAP diet did help me for a while, but the key is not to be on that for long term. You're not supposed to be. And I added my low FODMAP diet with my intuitive eating in it, you know, five years later. And I feel like I'm perfect. I, I'm, I'm good. I can eat anything at this point, oh, generally, interesting. except for one thing, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> Okay. Uh, other than that, snow days. Yeah, we had uh, the kids had snow days the last couple of days, and since I'm an essential worker, I wasn't able to stay home, which was you know good and bad. We've had plenty of stay home days the past year, <laughs> so it was kind of nice that I was like, "Sorry, Nick, gotta go." <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it would have been nice to be able to stay home and you know warm and cuddly with with the kids. But you yeah. know, wasn't so lucky. But that's okay. They had the two days off, and and they enjoyed it. So does Nick get those days off? Well, he he works from home anyway. So yeah, he was okay. still working, but you know. But that's hard. It's it, I've yeah. realized that working at home with kids is so unfair to the kids. Oh, it's it, impossible. I, have, I know we're going to have another mom guilt episode coming up, but man, that tops my list when I'm like, shh, yeah. shh, shh, mommy's on a call. Daddy's on a call. Like basically yeah. raise yourself. Could you do that? Could you just like raise yourself for the next eight hours? I know. It's so hard. And I'm not someone, I can't just be like, go watch a television show. Like I just, my kids don't do well when they watch TV all day. And I truly believe no kid does. So I try very, very hard to, to create other things or really just to put the kibosh on television. Because if I tell them no TV, they'll listen. They'll, they'll go figure out something else to do, which is great. But after a while, like after a few days of that, they run out of ideas and, and things to do. And then I'm like, okay. Just go watch another movie, you know, and uh, yeah, it does. It makes me feel very guilty. <laughs> they love watching TV, but I just feel guilty that I'm just putting them in front of the screen all day. So yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So of course, we'd appreciate it. All right. Oh, an introduction to the topic. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're, we're recording this very chopped up. And so I am, I'm being thrown off. We, interviews are always a little bit different. So if you've been listening for a while to our podcast, you know that Nicole and I have two different body types. I have a smaller body and Nicole describes herself as quote unquote fluffy. <laughs> Both of our relationships with our bodies have evolved over the last 30 years. We've touched on the topic of body acceptance here and there on this podcast and have even had some really good guests on the show who have talked about it in relation to postpartum time and the health at every size movement. Neither of us are personally well-versed in the topic of body acceptance, aside from, you know, reading a few key books here and there or listening to some podcasts and having frank discussions. So today we're taking a deep dive into the topic of body acceptance. During today's interview, we discuss what exactly is body acceptance and why is that more appropriate than loving your body? Or is it more appropriate than to say, you know, love your body? How can someone with thin privilege assist those in larger bodies with body acceptance when they're already in a body that's more culturally accepted? And does body acceptance mean not having a desire to change things outside of weight, such as breast size, hairstyle, lip fullness, and other things that we do to ostensibly change our bodies? So many questions. So today we are talking with Christina Bruce, a certified integrative life coach and body trust provider. Christina specializes in helping women break free from dieting and negative body image. Calling upon her education in health studies, sociology, yoga, meditation, and self-inquiry methodologies, Christina works one-on-one -on -one with women to help them develop a positive relationship with themselves so they can live empowering and fulfilled lives in the bodies that they have. Welcome to our podcast, Christina Bruce. Can you just tell us a little bit about you? Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm a body acceptance coach. So essentially kind of what that means is I work, well, it happens to be primarily with women who I work with um, on helping women who have really spent a long time trying to, often it's to maintain a weight loss or to lose weight or to change their bodies. And they just kind of got to a point where, you know, it's exhausting. They don't want to do it anymore. Um, and they want to just feel at peace and feel at home in the bodies that they have without the constant, you know, tension and effort of always trying to change it. So I work um, with women to essentially help them do that. And I'm a, I'm a new mom. So I have some experience as well now with personal experience with changing body uh, from having a baby. Uh, so it's kind of nice to have that life experience to bring into my work as well. So this was your first baby. This is my first. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. Okay, great. How old is baby? Baby is four months old right now. She's, she's four, maybe four and a half, I guess. Oh, wow. That's, That's a fun a, age. Yeah. If they're sleeping. Fun. <laughs> Usually <laughs> a lot very, of sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very lucky that she uh, has turned out to sleep very well. So she sleeps through the night now, which is like awesome. <laughs> that is very rare, but yes, you are lucky. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, and perhaps with baby in 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 the picture now, your day to day may look a little bit different. But talk to us a little bit about your title as life coach and body trust provider, and what does that day to day work look like? Yeah, so it is of course different for me right now because I'm on maternity leave, so I'm not actively working with clients. Um, but essentially, what I was doing prior to going on maternity leave was. Uh, at the moment, I was working one-on-one with clients through an eight-week program, uh, essentially eight weeks of coaching. And I liked it because it was very uh, personalized, um, very intimate in the sense that you know we really get to know each other and uh, I can tailor the work that I'm doing as a coach with them to whatever is coming up for them. So you know, coaching is really about identifying what are the obstacles that kind of get in the way from where we are and where we want to be. And so the goal, of course, being where we want to be is being more at peace at home in our bodies. And and I call that body acceptance. And to me, it's about ending the fight with your body. So when we're always wanting to change our body, we're in resistance to it. And so the opposite of that, of course, would be acceptance. And so a lot of people can actually get, I would say, afraid of the word acceptance. They don't like the word acceptance because they equate it with giving up. Um, There's this mentality, if we're dieting, we're trying to lose weight, then we're doing something and we're trying to make ourselves healthier. And if we just accept, then, well, now we're not doing anything. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. When we accept, it's just the action that we take comes from a very different place. The motivation is different. Um, It's more, again, it's instead of fighting our body, it's working with our body. So I would work, you know, individualized session uh, once a week with them where we would really dive into what is coming up for them around their body? What, you know, and, and every week there's always something because it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't really, when we're trying to maintain our body size or try to change how we look or something, it's always usually going to show up in some way in our day-to-day lives. And just start to, I work a lot with looking at the beliefs that we hold, that we have uh, developed and, and uh, been conditioned with growing up and starting to question those beliefs and looking at where are they in misalignment with what actually feels true for us. And so then we do some deeper work. I'm a meditation practitioner. I'm a yoga instructor. So I bring a lot of that you know, philosophy and those techniques into the work with my clients. And so with coaching too, you take action every week. So then we would identify you know, a small little action that someone could take uh, based on whatever it was that they were struggling with. So uh, you know, it could be something like maybe putting a post-it note on a mirror that just says like, I am okay just as I am. And just a little, you know, counter to whatever the mind is constantly saying that their body is not, uh, to just kind of stop them from that habitual train of thinking. So it might be, you know, it's very specific to everyone. And then over the weeks, we would start to see a shift and moving towards that place of, of body acceptance. And sometimes we might continue on past that, Um, sometimes, you know, people felt like that was good and they got what they came for. Um, so that's what I was doing prior to, and I'm certainly looking forward once I get back off of maternity leave to start to extend some different offerings. I was, 
working with some groups, uh, doing some kind of group coaching and discussions where we could gather as a group and share our experiences. So more to come in the future, but that is what I was doing up until up until maternity leave. Yeah, I love that. Would you say that accepting your body is different than loving your body? I would say that it depends on how we define loving our body. So I would say it's this, I would say it's different, but also the same. So I think that when we think of loving our body, we think of like looking in the mirror and just being enamored with what we see, or we walk around and we just feel so great in our bodies all the time. And we're like, I love my body, like how we might love like our dog, or we love our child. Um, so when we set that as the expectation of what we think loving our body is, then body acceptance to me is not that. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that that's what body acceptance is. However, what in order to accept our body, in order to accept something that actually has to come from a place of love. So love is facilitates acceptance. You you can't you can't really love something unless you accept it. It's hard to love something that you hate or something that you reject. So for me acceptance comes from love. So I believe that accepting your body is a loving act. Um, but it's not in the the sense of always looking at your body and thinking like I I'm totally in love with it. I do think that practicing body acceptance and that might just be I, I kind of also equate it with maybe like body neutrality. So it's that we're not putting so much focus on our body, you know, being the thing that defines ourselves or that equates our value or our worth or the thing that's going to make or break our day or our week. So if we just accept that like this is where it is right now and I'm okay with that, kind of more of a, a neutral place, that to me is more along the lines of when I talk about body acceptance. But I do say that, you know, in order to accept, we have to be more open. And when we're more open, we have more access to love. So it just looks different, I would say, than what we think of when we think of loving our bodies. Yeah, I I work for a, a university and they have a whole week in February that's titled and they it's focused on loving your body. And I've and I don't know. I almost feel like sometimes that's just asking too much. And I feel like and I know you said that accepting your body starts with love, but I almost feel like it's the other way around for me. It's more like, well, you can ask me to love my body, but to me that sounds way too overwhelming. I can first start to accept it. And then maybe learn how to really love it. I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying, but in my mind, I feel like it works the other way. So, so what I'm not see what I'm saying is that in order for you to accept your body, you may not realize it, but you are loving. Yeah, yeah. You're, no, you're doing it without knowing that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have to acceptance comes from love. Acceptance doesn't come from hate. So if we look at like if we look at say love and hate, right? Or really sometimes it could even be love and fear. If we look at love and hate, acceptance cannot as the base point, acceptance arises out of this deeper pool of love. But Mm -hmm. if our mind again has this image or idea of what it looks like to love, it's not going to match that in our mind. So you don't necessarily realize that you're loving your body Mm -hmm. through acceptance. 
but but you are. But if it if the mind's just like, you know what, I got this idea of what looks like, love looks like, and it's not that, like call it acceptance. <laughs> it it doesn't it doesn't matter. But I'm just putting out there to say that accepting your body is a loving act. So yeah. although it may not feel like it, you may not even realize that you're doing something loving towards yourself by accepting your body. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be in love with your body in the way that the mind has this idea of what love is. Does that make more sense? So much. Yes. Thank you so much. for. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to ask you to come talk. Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll talk after because I think you would be a great speaker during this week in February. So anyway, more to come on that. All right. So what exactly is body acceptance? And are there different levels of acceptance or do you either have it or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. I like to think of acceptance as a practice versus something that like you either have or you don't. It's mm-hmm. constantly moving and flowing. So it might be better to, excuse me, give an example of what acceptance is. So if I'm looking in the mirror and I look at the mirror and I'm, I, you know, start to pick apart my body, I'm like, oh, like, I don't like this role that I have here, or I think my thighs are too big. Now we can start by noticing how that feels in our body. Like how, how, how does it feel emotionally? We're, we'll often be aware of just kind of an icky feeling. Like we don't feel very good. We might feel sad. We might feel anxious. We might feel, um, you know, angry, like these sort of uncomfortable emotions come up. So I would say at that point, we're, we're, we're rejecting our body. You know, there's, there's a resistance there. We're saying we like, I don't like it. And mm, like, there's this kind of wall. But if we move and say, and look, if we move into an acceptance, a place of acceptance, and if we kind of look at our body, acceptance could be, I don't love, or I don't even like the way that I look right now, but I'm just, I'm going to be okay with that. I don't need to like how I look right now. I'm just going to be okay with how it is. And I'm not going to start to take action to try and change it. So now that I look at it and I say, okay, I'm okay with not liking it. I'm okay with just like, I'm just going to accept that this is how it is right now. And this is how I feel. Well, now what do I do? And that could be like a totally different place. Like we, some people may never have even contemplated what they would do if they weren't constantly trying to change their body, because that might be the only way that they've really ever related to it in their memory. So it might be, okay, so I'm going to check in with myself as like, well, what do I want to do? Like if, if I was okay with my body right now, which I'm going to say that I'm, I am, I'm not going to run and, you know, uh, start another diet or go out for a run right now because I'm feeling so angry or anxious about my body. What would I do if I was just in this place of acceptance? Like maybe I would, you know, go for a walk or something, or maybe I would you know, eat something, or maybe I would just do something. I don't know. That's interesting. Read a book or paint or whatever the heck you want to do. Um, so the action that would arise would become very different. So it's kind of like finding this place of neutrality. And then if you just notice how you feel, when you can say to yourself, 
I'm just going to accept the fact that this is how my body is right now without, without this feeling of like, because if you kind of notice, it can be very easy to say like, and now that means that, you know, whatever we make having the body that we have mean, which could be like, and now that means like, I'm going to be ugly forever or whatever it might be. That's just another thought. That's just another thought of resistance. But if we can just say, I just accept how my body is right now. I accept that I'm not in a place where I like it or I even love it, but I'm just going to be okay with it. Notice if you start to feel, and I mean, you can even kind of imagine yourself doing this, a place of relief or a little bit of like, almost like a weight that just kind of been lifted a little bit. That's when we know that we're we're in acceptance is that we're not fighting it. We're not trying to change it. We're not creating our life and our next actions around having to make our body different than it is. We start to become more at peace with it. And then we start to tap into what is it that we really want to do in our lives and what would make us feel okay in our bodies. And again, by that, I mean like if my body feels tired, do I need to rest? You know, would it feel good if maybe I did do a workout because it would just give me some more energy? Like that's a different place of of doing things for our body versus trying to fight our body. Does that make sense? It does. I So it sounds like you do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy in your practice, correct? Is that essentially I, what this I don't is? Ex- I don't ex- know. Like I, oh. I'm actually not at all trained in cognitive ah. behavioral therapy. No, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm aware of it and somewhat familiar with it, but I don't use that. Mm, okay. Cause everything you're saying, it sounds so much like, I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying and cognitive distortions. I think of, I, I just read all about, yeah, I, I'm hoping to be a health coach one day. So I'm reading about motivational interviewing, co- cognitive behavioral therapy. And a lot of, of what you're saying is, sounds like that, but maybe just in a different light. But yes, I, I think that makes so, so much sense. And I'm, I'm listening to you and already taking notes of what I'm going to start doing. So, so that's so great. Thank you so much. That- so like, if I could just sum it up really quickly, it's like yeah. acceptance is not resisting. Mm-hmm. Just stop resisting. Mm-hmm. That's acceptance. I think that. of it like, again, it's kind of like a tug of war or, or, you know, they use the example, let's use the example of like, you're standing up against somebody and you both have your hands touching and one person's pushing. And if you push against that other person, you're resisting them. But if you just let go, there's not that resistance anymore, right? Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Let go of of resisting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to weave uh, health, I guess, a bit into this, we just as people are ingrained with the notion that body acceptance isn't necessarily healthy since we are told and hear that larger bodies, quote, aren't healthy. And it isn't healthy to accept your body in a larger size. I mean, this is flooded through through healthcare, right? What do you say to that? And, and what are the actual true measures of health in, mm-hmm. in your opinion? Yeah, it's... um. It's a really tough topic and it's it's really frustrating mm-hmm. because it's just so completely ingrained in our culture and most specifically in the medical community. And I mean, my personal belief is that 
we won't really, I think, be able to uh, start to shift this idea that it's not actually our body size that's the problem, so long as the medical community is still telling everybody that they need to lose weight and that it is the problem. Um, the issue is that, and I remember when I first learned this, I was like, shocked. Like, I was like, I was angry too, because I thought, oh my God, like, this is a falsehood. Like, why is this still being perpetuated? But it's just, anyways, it's a long story. Like how there's just so much invested in this idea that it's hard, it's hard to break. Um, I would say I really started to learn about this when I read, first read the book Health at Every Size Mm -hmm. by um, Lindo Bacon. And a lot of people misinterpret that title thinking, again, like it means that no matter what size you are, it means that you're healthy. Well, people can be unhealthy if they're in a very large body, but people can also be unhealthy if they're in a small body. So the point is, is that this book talks about that the research that's currently, not even currently, that's done up to date, all research that has been done on health as it relates to body size only shows that there is a correlation between larger body size and health. So what that means is that like something is present in in the in at the same time as something else is present. Um, but it doesn't mean that that thing that's there is what's causing the other thing to happen. So a lot of research in, in all fields get mucked up because of this. We see a correlation and, and then everybody um, jumps to causation. So an, an example um, of this that she uses is like, there are um, men who are, there's a higher correlation between men who are bald and higher like cardiac events. Mm-hmm. So say like heart attacks. So they find that men are bald, they're at a higher risk of having, of having cardiac like uh, events. There's a correlation there. It means like the baldness and the cardiac events are happening. They're, they're together. They're happening at the same time. So if we were to treat that scenario and to look at that situation, the way that we currently look at weight and health, we would say, well, all we need to do is try to get these men to grow hair. Because <laughs> if they just grew hair, then like that would decrease their risk of a cardiac event. Mm-hmm. But we know that that sounds ridiculous. But what they found out is that it's because men who have higher testosterone levels in their bodies tend to lose their hair. And it's the testosterone levels that actually um, are, are what make for a higher risk of a cardiac event. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually the hair. And this is exact, exactly the same way that we're looking at body size. So they show that there's, okay, so people who are in higher body weights, they're saying that they have some higher risks of these different diseases. And so we're saying, well, all you need to do then is lose the weight and you'll lower your risk of these diseases. Like, you know, uh, diabetes and or illnesses or ailments or whatever you want to call it. But it doesn't actually it doesn't actually work that way because they have they have done um, liposuction studies where they have removed literally like if it was literally truly the fat itself you should be able to remove the fat from the body and then you would see a reduction in the risk of these conditions mm-hmm. but you don't it showed no health improvement just by removing the fat 
So we need to look at, okay, well, what else is going on? Well, here's the biggest thing. And here again, like what is it that actually improves health? When people are making the effort to lose weight, they're trying to lose weight, what are the, the two things that they do? Change diet and exercise. It's, you know, it's always it's the prescription, right? So they might start trying to incorporate more nutritionally dense foods into their diet, and they might start moving their body. Both of those, there is some causal effect that it helps to improve their health. While they're doing this, a lot of people tend to lose weight in the process, but they equate then the weight loss as the thing that is making them healthier. And in Health at Every Size, they actually did their, like they did a study where they took groups of people and they put one and gave them, you know, standard, the standard recipe of just focus on losing weight, diet and exercise. And then they took another group and they, and they said, you know, we're actually just going to teach you more about like joyfully moving your body, having a more positive relationship with food, like taking the stress out of your food choices, starting to attune more to your body when you're eating, um, just essentially working to kind of just be happier, like just take the stress out, like um, notice what tastes good to you. Like, let's find some ways that you like moving your body that feel good. And the people in that second group who weren't focused on the weight loss saw improvements of their, in their health but they didn't lose any weight. Now, the people who did the weight loss group, they also saw improvements in their health and they lost weight. But but the difference was is that after, I think it was two years, they followed up and the people who lost the weight regained the weight back. And the people who didn't lose the weight but had actually really worked on just changing their attitudes towards movement and food maintained their health level. So it was the changes in the behavior that ended up making the improvement in health, not the weight loss. But it's again, just because we see weight loss tend to happen that we give weight loss the credit, but it's not the weight itself. In those cases where people see an improvement from weight loss, like if at any point, at any rate, at, the, at best, the weight is, quote unquote, a symptom of their environment, at best. And it's not to say, though, that it's, again, the cause. And there are so many other things that affect our health. The biggest one being stress. Chronic stress is terrible for everybody's health, no matter what size they are. And so, and there's so many things that contribute to chronic stress. One of the biggest ones being, you know, socioeconomic status. If you're constantly struggling to make ends meet, that's very stressful. People who are in, you know, poor economic situations tend to be higher weight because, of course, we know that it's also harder to be able to afford and find nutritionally dense food. They're probably sleeping less because they're often having to work more than one job. They're under this constant level of stress. We know that stress also can affect, you know, the body retaining um, more weight. So for all of these different factors, you know, these contribute to poor health, but it's not the weight itself. And when we tell people to just focus on weight loss, what we end up doing is um, putting a putting more stress on the person. It's stressful to be dieting. It is stressful to constantly be monitoring your weight. It's stressful to feel like a failure 
when your body regains the weight, which is what it's going to do when we're actively trying to suppress our weight. The, the body sees that as like going into famine. So it says, whoa, like, wait a minute, you know, we don't like this. Let's like slow down our metabolism a bit so we can preserve some energy. Instead of just saying, let's focus on the things that actually make us healthy. What, what are we able to do to reduce stress in our life? Like that would be number one. What can we do to reduce stress? You know, how might I be able to change my relationship with movement? You know, do I want to exercise? Like, would I exercise if weight loss wasn't a goal? A lot of people don't even know. Like, the only way they ever started exercising was to change their body. Well, it's not all or nothing. And that's what ends up happening when people diet. So then that's the other part of it, too, is then they say, well, if I stop focusing on my weight, I just flip to the opposite which is like eating everything in sight and not moving because their only motivation to, to do those things was to lose weight. There's no balance. So we have this culture on this huge like pendulum swing where they're going from all or nothing and there's a middle path. And I mean, not to keep going on and on because this is such a long conversation, but one of the other things that's really key is that the, the BMI, the body mass index that's often used was, was firstly um, never ever meant to be used as an individual marker of health. It was you know designed looking at um, population, body size population um, or body size over, over a, a whole span of population, not to be used for an individual marker of health. But what they found is that on, on the current BMI, when they look at long-term long-term studies over people's health, that it's not until forty on the BMI that they start to show um, that body size has any impact on somebody's health. Forty—that's really high. That's in the obese category, and they show that over the long range, people who are in the quote-unquote overweight category live longer than people who are in the quote-unquote normal range. Because the normal range is actually, it's, um, it's quite low for a lot of people. Some people's body sizes just naturally want to be heavier. They, they naturally are happier being heavier. And I mean, that's the case with me. Like my body does not want to be small. It is actually stable and happier at a slightly higher body weight. So there's all of these different factors that come into play and we're missing the mark by focusing on weight and body size. It's, it's not the thing that determines whether or not somebody is healthy or not. Woo. Well, thank you. That actually answered a question that Nicole and I have had for a while. We, we couldn't, I could not find the part in Lindo Bacon's book, Health in Every Size, about where the cutoff is for BMI, where it actually does maybe make a difference in health. And you just said 40. And that was my guess, but I couldn't find it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, she actually mentioned it in a podcast episode that I was listening to. Um, actually, where you can find it, in the research um, of it, I'm going to tell you because I actually just read it in another book. Is I'm um, is Ellen Satter's book, oh. Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family. Okay, it's oh, in there. Okay, <laughs> okay. and she Thank of you. course is great at marking all of the studies and research that show that, so you can find it referenced in there. Oh, awesome. Thank you. One thing to add, I recall from 
just dietetics that the a BMI in the 27 to 32 range is actually where morbidity and mortality is the lowest. And that kind of jives with what you just said, Christina. Is yes. that about, okay. Yeah. That's the overweight category. Yep. And so what's so interesting too, is I was listening to a podcast once and I, and actually this isn't health in every size, I believe. Um, Lindo Bacon was sharing how the current like scale, the numbers on, that are in use right now with the BMI used to be a wider range. Like it, mm-hmm. it used to be um, that the ranges were wider and, uh, but they were reduced. Uh, there was a, in Europe, like there was this committee studying the BMI or whatever, and they decided to shorten the range. So like making it tighter, you know, mm-hmm. the, the gaps. And when, and Linda, Linda Bacon was actually working on looking into this and she was like, okay, well, why, why are they doing this? And she went digging to find out like who's supporting this um, study or this council that's reviewing it. And it was, it was funded by a weight loss, or, or, sorry, a pharmaceutical company that at the time had the only weight loss drug on the market. And like overnight, all of a sudden, all of these people were all of a sudden classified as overweight or obese who weren't before. It's absurd, isn't it? It is you... absurd. So <sighs> yeah, so that was something else that really took me off too. I was like, well, what? Um, you don't like, like in my personal opinion, the BMI is, it is way past due. It needs to die. Yeah. It, it's, not a, it's not an individual marker of health and you do not need it. Yeah. Like everybody's body is different. You can take, you take blood work, you know, like there's many other ways that you can look at people's markers of health besides a number based on your weight and height. It's absurd. Amen. All right. So switching gears a little bit, is it easier for some people to accept their body than others? And and for example, might it be easier for someone with thin privilege to achieve body acceptance versus someone in a larger body? Again, that's going to be a yes and no question yeah. <laughs> um, because it really depends on the individual person. I'm going to say yes in the sense that it can be easier if you're in a smaller body to achieve body acceptance because you're generally, you're just more, your body size is accepted by the culture. It's easier for you to move through this world, you know, to find clothing that fits, to be able to sit in certain seats comfortably, whether that's like on an airplane or you're going to an amusement park. Um, You can just move through the body more easily if you're in a smaller size body and the, you know, it's the world kind of caters more to you that way. So you're not coming up against cultural and social um, restrictions and attitudes towards your body. Um, that being said, it's very personal for everyone in what their own experience was like uh, growing up in their body, what their you know family and cultural attitudes were towards their body size. So where Western cultural ideals have pretty much you know taken over the world at this point, at one point that wasn't the case. And you know different cultures, you know I, I know actually. Um, a woman that I had worked with who uh, came from Iran, she was saying that when she was young, um, larger size bodies were seen as more ideal. And she was in a very small body. So she would always be told like, you're too skinny, like you need to gain some weight, you know? So just to show like, it, it doesn't, 
it wasn't always like that. Like I said, now this idea that thinner is better has pretty much swept the world. Um, but whatever your culture is saying might have impacted you personally. And depending on your own you know, personality and your own sensitivities, if that was really taken to heart and you started to identify you know, your value and your worth um, with your body size, then it can be harder to accept your body because the emotional associations run so deep within you. So we'll find that often, you know, with people who are struggling with eating disorders, um, they're in small bodies, but it's tougher for them to accept it because they're in a different um, headspace around it. So on the flip side, if somebody is in a larger body and they're working on body acceptance, of course, now they're going to be receiving the message from, from their doctors, from, you know, maybe family and friends, from from the from television, from everywhere, that they shouldn't accept their body, that they should be trying to change their body almost at, at all costs. And if they do lose weight, they're applauded and they, you know, receive um, compliments. So it, it's tough. It's very against the grain of our cultural mentality in that respect. On the on the other side of that, sometimes, you know, if you've tried so hard and you've been working for years and years and years to to lose weight and it's you know it's just not happening or you just realize like this is my body size it doesn't really want to be any smaller based on my lifestyle you know and who I am like this is what I just want to live my life and, and be happy which again is the best thing that you can do for your health is to like release the stress and just go to a place of being more uh, joyful and happy if you can um, is they could just say enough like I, I'm not, I'm not going to please anybody. Um, it's just, I'm done. So sometimes like if you're in a bigger body, it can kind of be easier in, in that sense that it's just not going to happen. So what other choice do you have? Are you going to fight it forever? Or are you going to accept it? And then again, it comes down to personality. So maybe you just have a personality that like, if you just don't really care that much what other people think, which I'm sure we all would like to get to a place of doing at some point. Um, it can be, it's, it's much easier. And in fact, that's actually one of the things, like one of the keys to accepting your body is to stop valuing so much what other people think about you. Because when we live in this culture, that's going to constantly tell you that your body should be different. If you care so deeply what other people think about you, then that's it. You're always stuck in trying to please people. So, I mean, on the whole, like if I'm going to say on general, yeah, I think it probably is harder to, it's harder to accept your body if you're in a bigger body in this culture. Um, but it's just not necessarily the case, you know, for everyone. And also, like, sorry, I'm just kind of thinking of all these different scenarios. You know, if you're someone too who might be like just a bit above what could be considered like the ideal body. Um, so, say you're, you know, you're that 10 or 20 pounds away from that size that now all of a sudden somebody might consider you like an actress or a model if you were just a bit smaller. That can also rope you in. And you're like constantly fixated. You're just so close. If I could just get a little bit closer and then that traps you. So we're trapped kind of no, no matter what in this culture that just doesn't accept bodies. That's always saying that there's this ideal that we're supposed to, to meet. 
Oh man. So as you're talking, I'm thinking I am one of those unfortunate people who cares way too much about what others think about way the way I look. And I don't think I've always been like that, but actually now as I'm thinking about it, I also I had an eating disorder when I was in high school, throughout college, really. I've always had a smaller body, always since birth. Um I mean, you would all I'm just a small person. I had come from two small, you know, a mom and a dad who were both petite and that's how I am. But yet I had an eating disorder, so I didn't accept my body. And I know there was so much more that went into that other than just that. But I that's such a good reminder because I do still, and we're actually going to get into a question about this um, and a couple questions here, not necessarily about my body, but I, I, wait, I focus way too much now on wrinkles and sagging skin and things that happen to our bodies as they ate outside of weight. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So here's my question. It really took me having kids to finally start looking at my body in a different way. And actually, when I had my daughter Paige uh, seven years ago is when I finally let go of my struggle with uh, body acceptance. And I finally started to actually accept my body and respect it and appreciate it because it gave birth to this beautiful uh, you know, human being. And I breastfed, I did all the things. And I was just like, wow, this body is amazing. Um, so do you find that people have more or less struggle with body acceptance after kids or as they age? Because I feel like perhaps I might be one of the odd ones that actually went the opposite way and accepted my body more after kids, but maybe I'm wrong. So what do you, what, what have you seen? Um, so, you know, I haven't done like a, a survey or like looked at it extensively, but um, just from hearing some people talk about it, I think in your case, like, again, it, it does really depend for some people. Um, pregnancy and childbirth is the thing that can, that actually changes the way that they start to look at their body. And now their focus is different. Like their time and attention is shifting now into their children and their priorities change. Um, maybe they just don't literally like, it, it just, they're like, oh, like this just isn't something that's so important in my life anymore. Like this isn't what matters, um, is, you know, trying to make my body look a certain way. Um, and then, so that can be definitely the case for some people and it can also, you know, not, um, all it can do is add another layer of stress and resistance for other people who now are still fighting to try to get their body to look the way that they want it to look after kids. Um, and then can also start, you know, comparing themselves to other um, you know, mothers who maybe were able to quote unquote bounce back, um, much more easily. Or there's this uh, idea of complimenting people like, oh my God, you don't even look like you had a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're, our culture is just trying to, tries to erase any signs of, Mm. of motherhood really from our bodies. It's like, we constantly want women to be the maiden, this young, um, young, almost like really it's immature because when we grow, we tend to become wiser and that's not really revered in our culture. It's just always about maintaining the, the maiden image in women. And so if that is something that, again, like that's where you got your feeling of uh, value and, and really safety. A lot of it comes from a sense of feeling safe because when you care so much about what other people think, you feel unsafe when other people aren't um, complimenting you or telling you that you're okay. So it can feel, you're, you're trying to get that sense of safety. And 
And having a baby can just exacerbate that because now maybe your body is going to change for good. And it's even much more difficult, if not impossible, to get it back to the way that you want. Um, So it it really depends. Okay. Thank you. Interesting. Uh, Christina, on a previous episode we did, uh, it was on the topic of weight stigma, specifically in the dietetics field. Gina shared she's always been in a smaller body. I have very much so been in a bigger body, larger body. And we asked people, other dietitians, on a scale of one to 10, whether they thought we have control of our own weight. Varying responses there. You recently wrote on an Instagram post, and Gina and I shared this. It says, the quote was, I find that people who are adamant or even angry about defending the idea that weight loss is possible if you just quote, work hard enough, are themselves really working hard to keep weight off and feel the need, they need to feel validated for all the effort. I Yeah, so interesting. I love that. And I'm curious, we're curious, what would your answer be to that question on a scale of one to 10? How much control do we have over our own weight? One being not at all, 10 being fully in our control. Hmm. Yeah, I've never thought about that um, on a scale. <laughs> I'm probably going to go straight down the middle and say a five. Okay. Because we, I will say that we do have the ability to control our weight to some extent, usually within a range. So in Health at Every Size, um, Linda Bacon talks about um, weight. Um, oh, my God. I'm like totally blanking out right now on what she calls it. Maybe you know of it. Um uh-huh. Set point. Set point theory. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's early for me. <laughs> I had not finished my coffee yet. Um, yeah, set point theory that our body naturally is content within a certain weight range of usually about 20 pounds. And based on our lifestyle, so I often kind of think of this analogy. Like, say I um, so you know, I've been working like at my desk a lot of the time. I'm putting in the hours during the day. Maybe I I I like to work out uh, a few times a week, maybe for about a half hour or so. And I'm, you know, it's winter time right now, so I'm not going out very much. I like to eat more, you know, denser, heavier foods in the winter time. That's what's happening for me. Let's say like tomorrow I, I win the lottery and I'm like, all right, we're all going to Spain. You know, like we're going to spend like six months in Spain or whatever, or just a year. Like, let's get out of here. And now all of a sudden I'm there and I'm, you know, eat, it's warm. Like it's, I don't know if it's warm in the winter, but <laughs> let's say it is for this case. Um, it's warmer. Um, I'm eating now maybe some layer foods because it's warmer. I also have a lot more time because I'm not sitting at a desk all day. And so I'm out walking more. Maybe I'm, there's hills around. So now I want to go hiking. Like it's flat where I am here. So there's a good chance that all, you know, without focusing on my weight, I might lose weight going to Spain and living there six months and living this different lifestyle with all this time on my free time on my hands now where I'm out and active and eating differently than I would if I'm at home, you know, working at my desk and it's the winter time and whatnot. And my weight would probably fluctuate maximum, according to set point theory, 20 pounds difference, like maximum. Maybe it would fluctuate, probably fluctuate less than that. But there would be a range where my body is comfortable there. And depending on these different life circumstances and, cha- and changes, my body will naturally do that. So um, 
So, and that's without, and that's actually without trying to control it. So if we now said that, okay, I'm going to actively try to manage my weight. I'm going to actively try to control it. We might see some success with that. You know, we might be able to reduce our weight by 10, maybe 20 pounds. But the question then becomes, and this is, this is where like, I bring up the question of why, of why this is even worth it to do it is, you know, what are you having to do in order to manage your weight? Does it come easily to you? Or are you having to now, are you now missing out on other things in your life in order to try to manage your weight? Because if you're forcibly trying to keep your weight down and it gets worse and harder if you're actually trying to suppress your weight below that set point range. So, you know, for myself, like I spent years um, forcibly suppressing my weight below my set point range so that I could try, so that I could be thin. And in order for me to do that, literally almost my whole life had to revolve around that. Like, ch- like large chunks of time in my day were spent on that. Almost my mind was almost always either thinking about food, planning food, worrying about food, wondering about when my like my next workout was going to be, how I was going to get that in, what did I need to say no to in order to do that. So we can't so a lot of people, you know, you can for most people um suppress your weight, but the cost of that is very high. And it ends up taking, it ends up becoming your life. And that's when I, you know, shared that Instagram quote, a lot of people who are suppressing their weight or are trying to sculpt themselves in their ideal body, it's not a coincidence that most people make a life around that. Their business revolves around that because it has to be their life. And so if you now try to take, you try to take that away from them. And I'm sure you know this, like I, it's it's not uncommon for people who have struggled with you know eating disorders or disordered eating to go into dietetics. Uh-huh. Like oh, yeah. there's a nat- there's yeah like there's a natural draw for people to go into nutrition and dietetics who already are deeply struggling with their eating. Mm-hmm. So it becomes it becomes their life. So I would say, and there are people that no matter what they do, still cannot keep their weight down. They could literally starve themselves. And that is why we see people with anorexia who are in large bodies. Mm-hmm. You can see people who are in the BMI categories of obese who are actually anorexic because their body just will not budge anymore. Because it's, it, it just, it's done. It's like, it's like, it's, it, if you spend so long trying to reduce your weight, it kind of breaks your body in that sense. Like it breaks the, the internal regulation system because the body's just like enough. Like we're not doing this anymore. This is not healthy for us. Like we need to keep weight on to survive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it won't budge anymore. And, and actually there was um, an article, I think years ago that was written in the New York times that was following up on people who were on the biggest loser. Yeah, and it yeah. showed that those people actually lost like body, like they lost muscle mass, their metabolisms um, reduced. And it was kind of like, it was, 
like that was it. It kind of broke in a sense because I don't want to say broken that like it now needs to be fixed, but the body will do whatever it needs to do in order to survive. And the body is much happier having more weight on the body than it is having not enough. And just a tangent for a second, but to kind of bring another point, this really this really came up for me, you know, having a baby and paying attention to how everybody was just so focused on the baby gaining weight. Mm -hmm. It was just the more like, like my, my midwife was like, Oh, she's, she's got some extra on there. Great. I'm happy about that. Because she knew that like, cause it's so crucial for a baby to have weight on the body because if they lose it, like, you know, that's, that like that's that's a could lead towards serious illness or death and it's the same though for human bodies like that's how our bodies are designed they it's it's happier to have that extra weight quote unquote extra where really actually that could just be healthy and normal and, and quite optimal functioning because if we lose too much weight like there's a reason why when people are seriously ill they lose weight in the hospital and, and it's, it's not good. You know, if they have chronic illness or people with cancer, they often lose weight. And that's not a sign of health. Right. That's a sign of poor health. So all of this to say that we can manage it to some degree, but it usually will take a huge portion of our life to dead, like literally our purpose in life then becomes keeping our weight low if we suppress it. And for some people, it will never work. Oh, I love I love it all. I'm shaking my head. Uh, a bit of a pivot here, Christina. Gina and I have both talked about minimally invasive procedures such as Botox and microneedling, and perhaps even in the future, lip injections or breast implants. I, I, Gina, I think you're more on the boob train than me. Uh, but <laughs> can these procedures be a part of body acceptance? Or would you argue that perhaps we haven't truly accepted our body if we're doing things like this? Yeah. I you would, can go unfiltered. You won't hurt our feelings. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, my, my initial thought about this is no, it's not body acceptance. Yeah. Usually because there is some fear or, or feeling of not enoughness that is fueling the desire to get Botox or breast implants. Like my question would always be why, mm -hmm. what's the why behind it and keep digging with that. What's the why behind it? If you, if you truly were at peace and okay with your body, like, would you, that's a good question. If you were okay with your body, would the desire still be there? And I would say more often than not, it probably wouldn't. Like the would, desire probably wouldn't be there. Would you though argue, I I do agree with, you know, if, if my desire to get breast implants, clearly I have not accepted my body as it is. Like I am socially motivated by that, you know, seeing pictures of other women. And I think to, the, to myself, oh, they look good. They've got, you know, decent sized breasts. I've got post breastfeeding breasts that look horrible. That is my thought. That is not body acceptance. acceptance and I am 100% I accept that. But I think to myself, Things, things such as Botox, minimally invasive, super easy. You go in, you're out, you're done. It doesn't affect your day-to-day -day life at all. It has to be a little bit different than subjecting yourself to dieting or over-exercising on an, on an everyday basis. 
and looking at yourself yeah. and not accepting the size of your body. Isn't it a little mm-hmm. bit different? But, but those are two different, those are two different questions. The mm-hmm. one question is what's the impact on your life and your body? The other question is, are you accepting your body? So one is about mm-hmm. impact mm-hmm. and one is about acceptance. So right. yeah, Botox is much more minimally invasive. Absolutely. It has less of an impact on your body for sure. hundred percent agree. That's not the question. That's not right. about, that's not body acceptance. True. The question right. is, why do you need to do it? Why do you want to do it? And it's not wrong that you want to do it. It's <laughs> in fact, completely understandable. And the mind is going to give tons of good reasons to do it. And just like when, so here's the thing too, the work that I do is deep and it is hard. Mm-hmm. It is not easy to accept your body. It is not. I, so I, I coach on this. Have I fully accepted my body? Not every day because it's a practice and it's, I liken this work to somebody struggling with alcoholism, trying to recover while living in a bar. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. The alcohol is surrounding them and they're trying not to drink. It's the same analogy. It's the Mm -hmm. same in this culture. It is tough work. The difference is that if we want to keep dieting or we want to keep changing our bodies to be okay, we can do it. Like, again, I don't, I don't blame anyone for doing it. I don't think that it's wrong. I shed light on why we're doing it and just understanding that if we, it will make us feel better temporarily. It does. It does make us feel better but temporarily, and we will forever be chasing it. We will forever be chasing it. Body, it's like being on a hamster wheel. It doesn't end. Body acceptance work is saying, let's get off the hamster wheel. And we can actually walk a different path towards freedom, which is the place where we start to actually not care anymore what other people are thinking about us. And that gives us our freedom. We all crave that deep down. That's what we all want. Mm -hmm. But we're too caught right now in being fearful, you know, living in in this world and being caught in the thinking around it. And again, this is like runs really deep, but it's hard work. So when I started my path, like I was not ready to stop dieting for a while. I I say like, and I share a story of how it took me three times to get rid of my scale before I got rid of it. Like I throw it out and then within a week I'd panic and I'd order a new one and then I'd have that. And then I would continue on with what I was doing. And then I'd get to a point again where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to get rid of my scale. And then I would get rid of it. And then I would panic again and I'd be like, I can't do it. And then I would go buy another scale and I would start again. So that did, I did that three times. <laughs> Until I was like at a point where I could actually, you know, enough things had to happen to like get to kind of what I called my diet bottom. Again, sort of similar to like recover, trying to recover from alcohol uh, is in order for me to finally let go and really do the tough work. It's another analogy, again, kind of going off of the same thing. It's like it is kind of like an addiction, wanting to change your body. It's addictive. It's hard to detox from it. And when you do the detox, it's painful. But then you're free from it. 
And that opens up then the rest of your life because not only are you free from constantly needing to change your body, but once you build that resilience and that strength and capacity, what else then are you going to be doing in your life? What else are you going to be not doing anymore? Because you're like, oh, I don't need to please that person anymore. Or maybe I actually don't really want to do this job and I'm going to follow something different because now you have the strength to do it. So went on a little bit of a tangent there. And kind of forgot the original question, but here we are. No, I think you answered it. I think you answered it. And actually, you segued perfectly into the second to last question we have for you, Christina. You have a post on Instagram that says, quote, when we recognize that it's our thinking about our bodies that is causing our suffering and not our bodies themselves, we've opened the doorway to freedom. And I completely agree. This is pretty much what you just said and what you've been saying throughout this entire podcast interview. So what are some things we can do to stop ruminating on all the negative parts of our bodies? And I realize that you're, you probably do a lot of this work with your clients and, and we're going to talk about how people can work with you after this, but just what, maybe just one or two quick tips. And then also most importantly, how can we help our kids do the same? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to answer that second question first by saying how we can help our kids to do it is by doing the work ourselves. Yeah. We have to be able to, we first, like, we're going to unconsciously pass on to our kids what we, you know, have not healed within ourselves. It's just, it's how it works. So the more that we can bring awareness to what's going on with ourselves and do that work ourselves, we're going to become more conscious of how we speak about our bodies, how we talk about food. We're going to be more conscious about the rules that we have around food and how we're, you know, putting that on our kids. So do the, doing the work yourself is key. Like that's just the best way. Be the example, you know, and, and then you're going to cut off the unconscious patterns that um, automatically go down to the kids. So some little tips on how we can start. Now I'm going to give kind of two, two ideas to begin with. Um, one is... To first just start to be, I would say, become aware that how you feel about your body is not actually how you feel about your body. It's how you've been conditioned to think about your body. There are ideas that came in from the outside, and it started when you were born. So particularly in this culture, we've been like brainwashed with these ideas. And again, this is where I love, like, and I'm I'm posting lately a lot. Um, talking a little bit about my baby and because I love being able now to witness like a fresh being that is coming into this world and how they view themselves. And, you know, she, like, I'm like, if she looks at herself in the mirror, I did a post about like, you know, she has this little double chin and she's like so excited just to see herself in the mirror. It's like, she ain't thinking about that double chin because she hasn't learned that that's a problem. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, and like now I'm like, and do do we want her to think it's a problem? This little baby? Like, are we like, mm-hmm. oh, can't wait till we tell her that her body's not good enough? You know, like it's learned. So to start to understand that like it is learned. It is not, and all we need to do is look at little children before, and unfortunately, children now I think they have studies as young as three are starting to look at their bodies and saying, Oh, I have too much fat on it. Mm very necessary fat. 
but they're already starting to judge their bodies because they see how intensely and harshly our culture judges bodies and they're picking it up. It's, it's even in children's TV shows. There's little, like little snippets here and there of comments about, you know, making fun of somebody or making a comment about their body. So it's learned. Um, And how we can also be attuned to that is notice how it makes us feel. Does it, does it bring us down or does it lift us up? And I'm going to say that it's bringing us down mm-hmm. and our natural state. And all we need to do again is look at children is to be lifted. They're light, you know, like they're light and energy. They're light and their heart is open. And that's actually how we naturally are. But it's because we've been indoctrinated with all of this messaging and we took it on and started to think that we weren't good enough and our body needs to be different. So look at the messaging that's out there and start to realize that it's like, this is like brainwashing. And it's happened over years. So no wonder we feel this way. Um, I also like to sometimes use this visualization to say like, imagine Imagine you grew up on a deserted island and you never saw another human body. That's it. You never saw another human body. How would you feel about yours? Mm-hmm. And, and really like meditate on that. How it would be, I would say, impossible for you not to feel okay about your body. Would you even notice your body? Like, would it really matter to you that much? Or would it just be the thing that's moving you through and to help you to do the things that you want to do and experience the things that you want to experience. Maybe you'd notice like if you cut yourself or something was feeling a little bit off, but you're, you wouldn't be judging it because you'd have nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then to help with all of that, because what this requires is it requires having awareness and to help with all of that. Something that I always really encourage my clients to start to get into it's like not required or mandatory, but it's something that I think is, is crucial to help this process is to start a meditation practice because meditation, the purpose of meditation is to help us to become aware of our thinking, to become aware of what are the thoughts that are going on in our mind and our thought, our mind is busy and it is constantly telling us stuff. And when we can start to realize that we're not actually our mind, our mind is like a computer. It's absorbed. It's like been programmed with this programming and it's just spitting out whatever it's learned, but we are not the mind. We have a mind, but we are not the mind. And meditation helps us to separate from that. When we are, when we are caught in our mind, we don't even have that witnessing that we have thoughts. We just are the thoughts. It's just happening. But meditation starts to separate us out from that because it helps us to see that we, if we can hear our thinking or we can, you know, imagine our thinking, we, we, we hear it in our head. Well, who is it that's hearing that? If we were our, our mind or we were our thoughts, we wouldn't hear it. But there's, but there's, we're in there watching or witnessing our mind. And so when we can create that separation from it, that's when we can start to become detached from it and we can start to question those beliefs and we can start to say like, oh, I don't actually need to listen to that anymore. That's just some mind chatter that I, that, that it absorbed based on this year, growing up in all of these years of conditioned thinking. 
And I can now start to change that. I don't need to listen to that anymore. So that's what I would leave people with the things to start with. Ah, thank you, Christina. This is so great. So it's a new year. And of course, as you know, many people have resolved to lose weight or just to change something about their body. How can people work with you, Christina? So as of right now, I think we're recording this in January, 2022. <laughs> I'm not working with clients at the moment. <laughs> Uh, because again, I'm on maternity leave. Uh, and so that will be running uh, for most of the rest of the year. Um, but I'm still active on Instagram. So at Christina Bruce Coach is where uh, people can start following me. And I also have a, a free download, a body acceptance jumpstart guide, which I will be revamping soon. So I'm excited about that, um, where you can download that. And I give a lot of recommendations of where to start. And then through that, you could be on my email list where I send out occasional emails. And then I'll be able to tell people you know, when I'm starting to work with clients again and what new and exciting offerings I have that are going to be happening later this year. Great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that ends our interview. This has been better than I ever even imagined. And I'm sure the listeners are probably nodding their heads in agreement. So thank you so much for taking the time when you could have been sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, got a baby. I'm up. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Well, we appreciate it so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, time for some mom wins. Uh, Nicole, what do you got? Another another item. We're both, well, actually mine's a food, so go ahead. Um, yes, so I bought Shay some brand new snow pants. And I don't know, what size is Paige wearing these days? Seven. She's okay. always average. Yeah, so Shay's, Shay's like a seven, maybe an eight. I, I sized up for sure to try and get our snow pants into next year. So I, it seems like at eight, we transition from like the bib situation, you know, the overalls to yes. like the actual just pants. pants. Yeah. So I bought her these super cute, like black pants, ripped, butt ripped within the first wear. I'm like, oh, that went well. So Mark put duct tape over them. I was like, all right, well, that's a fix. Anyway, I get back on Amazon and I find these really cute snow pants that actually are the overalls. And they're like silver. She looks like a little like tin man out there. They're super Aww. cute. But anyway, they, the quality seems above and beyond from what we've had in the past. And oh. snow pants are not cheap. Uh, yeah. But the, I thought these weren't like terrible. They're, they were like $44, I want to say. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, have a, I have a feeling they're going to make it through at least another year for Shay. And then we'll pass them along to Piper, hopefully without some rips. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, okay. I'll link those in the show notes. What about you? Yeah, I bought I bought uh, Paige a pair of snow pants, not the non bibs from. Oh, it's not Thrive Market. Um, what's that? It's the resale online consignment shop. Uh, Thread up. up. Yeah. Yes, and I don't love returning things on there because I don't know. I think you have to pay a little bit, but or you just get a, a store credit, whatever. They were huge on her, but I'm like, you know what? She'll be able to wear them at some point because they're really cute. They're purple with a bunch of cool, like purple and light purple, dark purple designs. And uh, they're just so funny when she puts them on. I'm like, whoa, okay. She's not quite ready for size. I think, it, I think I actually did buy her. It must've been a seven, eight. I bought them last year though, but they still don't fit her. Anyway, so my mom went, actually, it's not a food. It is a drink. I posted this on our Instagram uh, story. I'm obsessed with the drink spin or I'm sorry, it's called Spindrift. It is similar to LaCroix or any sparkling water, but it has just a hint of fruit juice in it. But 
virtually, you know, it's, I think it's five calories a can, zero sugar. And they're just so good. I don't know what it is. I, even just like that little hint of juice that they put in there that's different than LaCroix makes them, I feel like, that much better. And I like to mix them with kombucha. Oh, they're just so good. So I've, I've tried a couple of their flavors and I'm you just a huge fan. You can find them in a store. Yes, yes, Spindrift. And it sounds like a lot of our listeners drink it as well. So I must be a little bit late on this because okay. several people reached out and said, oh yeah, that's the best. You know, try the grapefruit, try this flavor. The grapefruit is one of my favorites, the grapefruit flavor. I'm on their website and I'm just searching for locations. It seems like CVS is where they're sold a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, at least around So me. I get them at Giant Eagle, but I also get them at Walmart. So. Oh, okay. Target looks like a supplier too. Oh, and Costco. All right. There you go, yeah. listeners. Whole Foods, yeah, Kroger. Yeah. Cool, cool. Awesome. I'll they're, they're all around. All right. Well, coming up on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, we'll be dishing about marriage over time and how not to foster resentment in your marriage. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>